0: Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 48. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See ya, Stock. Hey, Sam, hey, Sam. Hello. How are you? I'm okay, but a bit worried.
1: Yeah. So the world's gonna end but we we're gonna be okay. I think that's the ah, it'll
0: summary. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Nothing's gonna end. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. gonna end.
2: No, human rights will probably end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: We're slowly moving out of the era of um democracy. It was good while it lasted. Enlightenment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun to be here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually we've had a few a couple of couple of nine decades. <laughs> Yeah, nice ones. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh but uh yeah, we're still here. Everyone else is still here. Unfortunately, Trump is still here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh not for too long, actually. He's 70 years old, so who knows? Yeah. yeah. Anything can happen, but uh but
2: the problem is um his VP is even worse, so maybe Yeah. Maybe 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 we don't want really anything to happen.
0: Yeah. When you think there is no bigger idiot a greater moron that he is and uh yeah yeah he comes up with a vice president hey, who can even surpass him oh yeah. uh, who doesn't believe in evolution
2: i think yeah uh yeah whatever mm-hmm. anyway evolution is only a theory and in any case so there you go <laughs>
0: yeah 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 if you know what a theory means in science then it's okay but <laughs> Yeah, when you when you use it in a sense that oh it's just a theory. Yeah. There'll be a lot of that. Okay. Fun times. So, uh we're here to do something about European scepticism and uh at the moment what's going on in the US should not have a terribly strong effect on what's going in Europe. Uh we'll see see about that in the future, but uh Well,
2: I wanna just mention the upcoming elections in France and apparently uh they have one terrible candidate running as well, so yeah. That might that might change.
0: Yeah. The mood. Yeah. Um a friend of mine just uh, told me yesterday that uh he's he's very pissed off at me because of me posting on Facebook uh things before before an election or or a referendum uh, goes on. Mm-hmm. Please use use your common sense. Please be sensible and and don't vote for this or that. And then people vote for them so oh so it's your fault yeah because uh, before brexit i had posted the same thing that please my british friends please be sensible and don't do it they did it and then (laughs) the same thing happened with trump just just the other day so uh yeah he says don't you dare do anything like that with the with the french elections or anything else that comes up in the future.
2: Right. I think, uh, I think something needs to be done, obviously, and then that's how people protest because nobody wants to have that status quo anymore. So
0: yeah, okay. So let's let's see what's what's going on in Europe instead. And uh, the usual way of us doing that is uh, obviously going through the events that are coming up next week. So let's just do that.
1: All right, so let's start in Glasgow on Monday the fourteenth, where there will be a Pub HD. I don't know if we've talked about Pub HD a lot on the on the show, but that's where you have a, a number of people coming there and explain what they're research is all about. That's always very interesting.
0: Mm. So I think it's usually about uh, your PhD research, so what what you're yeah. doing for the oh. PhD programme, which is great because it, it's, it usually is is a, a good opportunity for young scientists to to talk about their research. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think there will be three different uh, talks uh, after each other, only 20 minutes long. Go to that if you can. Yeah. And if you can't, and if you're in Sweden, Sweden has a hectic two days because it starts on on the 14th again with uh, Göteborg where you have the full moon pub. And of course, it's a super fantastic full moon this time, so it should be extra great. Oh,
2: apparently, yeah. Yeah. I've got it in my calendar. I, I, I'll try to look out for it. I mean, I guess it'll be hard to miss because it'll, apparently it'll be so big. So. Oh
0: yeah. No, it's not going to be that big. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
2: expecting it to be half of the sky, basically.
0: Yeah, that's probably going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like like in movies, like in American movies when, All right. like in E.T. E.T. <laughs> Do you remember that?
1: Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, the following day on Tuesday the 15th in Malmö here in the south of Sweden we will talk archaeology with the former president of the uh, Swedish Skeptics Martin Runqvist I will be there it'll be nice at the same time in Uppsala to the north of just north of Stockholm there will be a lecture on CBT that's cognitive behavior therapy
2: in Sofia uh, there will be skeptics in the pub uh, with the silence of the universe theme um, the question of whether we are alone in the universe or not. Uh, th- this, this Skeptics in the Pub in Sofia is happening on a Tuesday 15th as well. On the same day, the Tuesday the 15th, there will be Skeptics uh, in the Pub in Stoke and the theme, the history and psychology of two witchcraft panics with Brian Sharpless. The last event on the same day is in Leicester and uh, David Alnwick will be uh, performing his mind wizardry he's a magician and he is really really good and i think we have mentioned him before we saw him first at qad and then on the wednesday the 16th there will be a skeptics and the
0: bab social in high wickham moving on to thursday the 17th there are a lot of events uh one of them uh, in the afternoon is in milano in uh northern italy Promoted by the Italian uh, sceptic organisation Chicap and the title is Disintegrated Chemistry at Milano Book City. If I understand well, Milano Book City is a, is a book festival and uh, there are three people, three chemists uh, discussing the integration and disintegration within our lives and uh, culture of chemistry. But in the afternoon or in the evening, that day, the UK features a lot of sceptics in the pub events. First of all, Edinburgh with Ella Floyd. And the title is Lies, Dem Lies and Science Communicators. Wow. We know that expression usually is ending with statistics. Uh, Now the blame is on science communicators, apparently. So go along and uh, find out for yourself what the talk is all about. But then in Bedford, uh, Catherine Wolfe, We'll talk about the Game of Clones. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> then Manchester, a Skeptics in the Pub, will feature Dr. Claire Ellery and uh, the Spectrum of Violence. And then two other events on the same day. Worthing with Katani. How do our genes work? If you haven't heard Katani talk about that and um, her book, go and listen to her. Uh, she's amazing. Then Liverpool will feature Deborah Hyde. And the talk's title is Heresy to Witchcraft, Politics and the Creation of the Witch as an Anti-Social Outsider. Wow, I would really love to be there. That must be a great talk, as usual, given by Deborah Hyde.
1: Well, she's a great witch herself, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In a good way. In a good way, yeah. in the best way. And then we move to Friday to Czech Republic in Prague, where there will be uh, uh, the Sisyphus uh, Skeptics Club will arrange a talk regarding uh, physics victory over complexity this is all about the standard model and how to unify the different major theories of of physics rather interesting and then if you go back to the uk in greenwich in the evening on friday there is uh, something called the fascinating phenomenon of false memories and this will be with such Illuminary people like Elizabeth Loftus, Chris French, Rob Nash, and Kim Wade. I would love to be there as well, if
0: I could. And where I would love to be uh, on the next day, on Saturday the 19th, is uh, Lucca in uh, Tuscany, in uh, Italy, where the first CCAP conference in Tuscany will be held. And the main theme of the day will be mysteries in chemistry which is amazing it's a whole day event uh starting in the morning oh by the way i haven't mentioned that uh, i just had uh, the uh, a week earlier uh this sunday uh, saturday last saturday i took part in the hungarian skeptics conference which was the 22nd in a row and uh not not for me i only started to go along when when the second one was on but uh I gave a talk, and uh, I moderated two discussions as well. Well, good during the day. Fantastic! Great. Yeah, the 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 thing is that it was uh, a broadcast on the internet, and actually more people were listening on the internet than were present. Mm. At least twice the, the number of people, mm. which is which shows us how important it is for these events to be broadcast.
1: Mm. That's a good tip for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And we have. it seems to be uh, the season for conferences because we have also in Porto, in Portugal, uh, the yearly concept con uh, meeting on Saturday. It starts at nine o'clock cool. and uh, goes all the way to six o'clock in the evening. And the, the topic for, for this year's concept con is the brain and how we can understand it in different ways and how we, if we can understand it at all. So very interesting.
2: Um, So we finish this week with Sunday the 20th. Berlin Skeptics Roundtable on Sunday the 20th of November will be brainstorming a sceptical Christmas. Mm. And another one that's happening on Sunday the 20th is in Reading
0: and it's Sunday Assembly. Sunday Assembly. Do you guys know what Sunday Assembly is?
2: Yeah, it's kind of a, they they, they all inclusive. Um, everyone is uh, welcome, regardless of their beliefs, and this is like a family friendly place of love that is open and accepting. So, I don't know. Some people call it atheist church, but I, I don't particularly like that name. It's just a place to hang out for the weekend that isn't really religious. Doesn't have religious conversation.
0: Good. Yeah, actually, we did try it in uh, in Budapest, um, and for a while it was going on. It was very secular. It was it was very interesting. We we brought in interesting topics. Yeah. Uh, we even sang, but uh, sing-alongs were were mm. not, just not working with the, the Hungarian secular community. So, yeah, I think it it massively depends on what culture you're in.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I I know of the another name uh, of of such gatherings in in America called uh, oasis groups. So they they call themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um that seems to be working for some. But yeah.
0: Good. That was it for the week. I mean, for the coming week. And uh I do hope uh, our listeners will find one to go along and enjoy. But uh, now there is something else to enjoy. Okay, let's move on to our QED report. Yes, we still do have a few uh, interviews, uh, short interviews recorded at QED in stock. Um, let's listen to a few of them.
1: So we're here li- late at night, Saturday night at QED.
2: <laughs> it's the best time to interview
1: people it, it is the best time I to interview so. so so who do we have here
3: my name is Kash Farouk and i co-run nottingham skeptics in the pub and co-founded Pub HD.
1: yeah so so what what is the why are we here what's the best thing with qed
3: tell us i think the best thing about qed is you go to the, you go to something what you expect expect the talk to be about it ends up being completely different and it's the best thing you've ever seen no I quite agree and and, um, so so what have you enjoyed what's your favourite so far my example from today was Ask the Archaeologist which turned out to be a stand up comedy set it's vaguely about archaeology, and it was very <laughs> oh, funny.
2: <really? laughs> Shit, I we missed, missed that. that. Yeah, missed it's like yeah, yeah, it
3: was, sure. it was, and it's on tomorrow. So I go, I'd go tomorrow. Right. Okay. Well, so,
2: so what they did this year, I think, um, more so this year than, than last year, they had so many different wonderful speakers at the same time, and you didn't know where to run first. Yeah. I think you've got to just
3: forget about that and just pick one and go to it. There's today. This yeah. this year, you know, every hour you look and you think, what am I going to go to? And you just got to. Forget that you're missing something, those, yeah. forget yeah. that you're missing something, go to whatever you're sure. going to go to because it'll be good. But it's difficult because sometimes they have five things going on at the same time and you have to choose. Yeah. And everything... But don't worry about it. No, yeah. no, that's, right. that's <laughs> Just right. go to it and you'll enjoy it.
2: And yeah. uh, what? Uh, how many times have you been to QED before? All of them. All of them? All of them. All of them. Oh. When did it start? 2011? 11.
3: 11. 2011. Okay. So 11. this is the sixth one. Yeah. All right. Amazing. When you're not at QED, what, what's happening then? What, what, what are you doing? Um, just running events in Nottingham. Yeah. So, so
1: what's that like? And who, who do you get? What, what, what's the thing?
3: So Nottingham Skeptics. Um, you know, the same as other skeptics in the pubs. We get guest speakers from around the country. Mm-hmm. It's, we've grown quite, you know, big from average twenty attendants to, you know, now we get about eighty people. We can afford more speakers from further away, so we get better, bigger names, more famous names, and it's it's growing.
2: Um, tell us. What was the the biggest speaker you got in the the, past? The biggest speaker,
3: our biggest attendance was 140 people. Yeah. Wow. And it was for a speaker that I didn't realize was going to be popular. I went to a science talk about um, quantum physics and halfway through the talk, the speaker started talking about Deepak Chopra and he said, oh, but I'm not going to talk about that now. That'll be a skeptics in the pub talk. And I was in the audience and I (laughs) went up to him after the talk to say, I run Nottingham Skeptics in the pub, or co-run Nottingham Skeptics in the pub. Do you, do you have a suitable talk for us? And he went, I'm actually writing one right now, about it. It's called, I'm going to call it the woo, no, the wow and the woo of quantum physics. And I think that might be suitable. So, um, so I booked him, and um, create, we created the Facebook event, and the number of accepts was going up and up and up on the Facebook event. And we said, we, you know, concluded this is going to be really big and um, we basically found out he's one of the people that people on the number file youtube channel oh, really? he's on number file and 60 symbols <laughs> he does all those so who it was? He? It was Philip Moriarty. All oh, right. And he's one of the. Yeah. He works with Matt, Matt Parker and yeah, on Numberphile. Right. Yeah. And now you know. So we had 140 people. We had like 50 groupy graduate uh, undergraduates, basically there too. to say, look, it's our lecturer. But did you have
4: to turn people away? Did you have a no? We the
3: capacity is about 150. So we, all right, we had, okay. we had a big enough venue. But now he's doing that talk around the country. So, oh, but he... so I discovered him. Ah,
1: oh, <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, good. So we're looking forward, this is just the first day, there's, there's another day tomorrow, yeah. full of speeches, etc. So we're, we're, what, what are you looking forward to? Anything Just going to
3: something random.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give
3: it, I've given up, because yeah. all of it is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much, Cash. Oh, Thank you. Go to the magic one. Oh, the magic one. Okay. We'll the do, the go, workshop. We'll do that. That's yeah. really good. Sure.
2: Alright, cheers. Thanks for your time. Okay. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Look who's here. It seems this conference is really very, very international because we are we have here guys from the Czech Skeptic Group Sisyphos.
5: Would you like to tell me who you are? <laughs> uh, I'm Claire Kleinberg. I'm the foreign li- liaison for the Czech Skeptics Club. And here is my colleague, Jakub Krolik, who's our expert on the fraudulent limitation of paranormal phenomena for our paranormal challenge.
0: Great. Do you wanna Do you want to greet our listeners?
1: (laughs) Yes, that's right. I think Claire, she's
0: my voice. (laughs) (laughs) This is your first QED, isn't it?
5: Yes, it is.
0: How how do you like it? How, How do you find it so far?
5: Yeah, it's a wonderful event. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Uh,
0: but you're also the organisers of um, the next European Skeptics Congress in 2017 in Wrocław.
5: Yes, that's correct, yes.
0: Um, are you also um, kind of uh, trying to take ideas here from here and there and, and everything? Or
5: Well, absolutely. In the last year I've been going to as many conferences as I possibly can mm-hmm. to get some more ideas and have mm-hmm. a better idea of what people like, what people dislike program ideas so definitely yeah inspiration is everywhere
0: that's cool oh by the way if uh, our listeners um, find your voice uh, familiar that could be because we had you on the show before
5: yes in April if I remember correctly we did a segment together yes
0: yeah, so it was it was a feature interview, and uh, you talked a lot about your plans uh, regarding the, the the next congress. So we all look forward to to being there again uh, together with with all the European skeptics. What can you tell us about the, the event right now?
5: Okay, uh, we have a Facebook page and a website. <laughs> Please go to European Skeptics Congress on Facebook, and you'll find our Facebook page. Uh, so far, um, we are waiting until the end of October, and we where we will confirm some very exciting guests. First of one of a time, first time type of guests. And so, um, please watch our Facebook page for the confirmations. But we have been discussing with, for example, Mark Linus, who is very ha- uh, who uh, would like to come, but uh, doesn't know if his plans will allow it. But uh, he wants to be a free spirit, as he says in his email conversations, and will confirm in the uh, soon future. Um, but definitely, we will have a lot of interesting people speaking. And we will have some amazing workshops for the public as well. So, oh, and a boat party. Because uh, our chairman of the Skeptics insisted there must be a great party. So there's going to be a big boat party for everyone. Looking forward (laughs) to that
0: one. Okay, uh, well... I'm, I think I'm going to go and um, see who, who else is here. But uh, very good to, to see you uh, around and enjoy the rest of the event.
5: Thank you, Andras. So for, the same for you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, QED seems to be over um, unfortunately, but um, now that people are leaving um, there is one young lady who is leaving as well and she's from Germany Uh, Frauke, Um, how are you?
6: Hi, Um, very well, thank you it was was a great weekend and um, thanks for the young lady I'm I'm not that young anymore, but uh, yeah, awesome
0: And where are you from in Germany?
6: Um, Originally I'm from near Cologne, Mm -hmm. but now I'm living near Stuttgart in the south of Germany.
0: Are you active in the in the local skeptical movement?
6: Uh, yes, uh, I founded a, a regional group in where I'm living in the town where I'm living. Um, I'm trying to get together some people, but um, the yeah, let's say alternative movement is quite strong in the south of Germany, so it's not so easy.
0: Mm. And um, you said you liked uh, this weekend. Um, it, this is this wasn't your first QED because we have met here before. How many QEDs have you attended?
6: This is my second one. Mm. So I've been here last year was for the first time, and now I'm I've come back, which is a good sign, right?
0: Yeah, great. Um, and are you coming back if if uh, there's there's a QED next year as well?
6: Yeah, I think so. It's it's just lovely, and it's it's uh, a great and very big. community community here. So it's very, very good to meet new people.
0: Yeah. Um, and uh, if there, uh, on that if, because there is going to be uh, another skeptical event, a large skeptical event in 2017, the European Skeptics Congress in uh, Rostov, in, uh, in
6: Poland. Are you attending that, that as well? To be honest, I haven't decided about that yet. I've been to the European um, conference last year in London. Which was awesome, because they have really good and quite um, famous speaker there, and it was really interesting and but I was really astonished that um, there weren 't so many people attending there. I think they had about one hundred fifty or something people attending and um, which I found quite uh, um, sad because um, it was really a great conference yeah, yeah so um, but I, I didn 't decide on on next year.
0: Okay. Um, do you listen to the ESP? I will. Great. Then you'll find out more um, as, as the, the time draws near. Um, I, I understand you have to go now. Um, so I thank you for your time and hope to see you again very soon.
6: Thank you and thank you f- and your colleagues for your work. It's, it's really important, I think. Mm.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. During the next week, on the 18th of uh, November, this podcast, the European Skeptics Podcast, will celebrate its first birthday. And the, the whole idea uh, was conceived at the European Skeptics Congress in London, whose uh, co-organiser was Chris French himself. We thought this is the best opportunity for us to interview him and uh, bring him on the show. So please listen to our interview with Chris French on every other episode we interview a person representing an organization or project either from a certain European country or stretching across borders today our guest is psychology professor Chris French he's probably best known as the founder and head of the animalistic psychology research unit at Goldsmith College University of London He frequently appears in the media as an expert on testing paranormal claims and often appears as a speaker at Skeptics in the Pub and other events across the United Kingdom. He's a fellow of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and a former editor-in-chief of the Skeptic magazine. He's been involved in countless investigations into the paranormal, and frequently takes on the task of organising sceptical and scientific events, including the 16th European Skeptics Congress in London in 2015, that he hosted and co-organised with Michael Heap. Professor Chris French, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, nice to be here. Well, it was about time, (laughs) Uh, It's especially because uh, we thought this would be a very good occasion uh, to invite you on the show uh, as um, we are approaching the first anniversary of uh, the the podcast. Yeah, and uh, I should say that, um, if not directly, you still have a hand in the existence of this podcast as uh, it was conceived at the European Skeptics' Congress in London. So, (laughs) thank you very much for that.
4: (laughs) I'm very pleased to have done so.
0: And... um, looking back at the conference how you see do you see it as a success in general and um, would you be willing to take on the challenge of of organizing another large-scale event like that again
4: I think the conference was certainly it was very well received by the people who attended. I think we had a great lineup of speakers. Uh, We didn't have any kind of major disasters on the technical front or, you know, everything went very smoothly. Um, Lots of people put lots of time in. I mean, obviously, Mike Heap deserves a a special nod there, but lots of other people helped out. Mike Marshall um, helped us to promote it via podcast interviews we had a host of volunteers who helped out the one disappointment for me was that we got we got fewer people actually attending than we'd anticipated and i think it's possibly the problem at that time um that uh, it was it Even though we tried to keep the price down as much as we could, um, it's still kind of relatively expensive for people to come to London. Maybe not so much now after Brexit. So maybe (laughs) I could be tempted into organising another big conference like that. But, yeah, generally, I thought it went well. We got lots of very positive feedback. And it was just great to kind of get you guys over to get all all the people. I think we probably, I'm not sure about this, but I think we probably had more people coming from outside the U.K., we have from within the UK which was very surprising because I organize other events in the UK and we get good attendances but obviously a three-day conference is a big commitment and maybe a bit expensive for people staying in hotels and traveling and so on but uh, that was the only fly in the ointment for me
1: Hmm. are you in contact with the the Polish and Czech skeptics for who are now organizing next year's uh, uh, event to, you know lessons learned and things like that
4: they've not actually been in touch i'd be very happy to have that conversation uh, you know i know some of those guys uh, and yes it would be a good idea i think to uh to, to swap notes on that
1: yeah there's still time it's it's in september yeah. isn't it andras yeah yeah
2: september next year yeah, yeah. chris would you tell us about the um, um apru for those who don't know what it is actually um, what are the major topics you conduct research into
4: well I mean, basically, uh, anomalistic psychology is it's really the psychology of weird stuff. I mean let's yeah, I, could cover you, I could give you a much more wordy definition, but that's essentially what it is. I personally am fascinated by weird beliefs, by people, people's weird experiences, by all that side of things. So it primarily focuses upon paranormal claims, um, And one of the major types of research that we do. Is to attempt to come up with non-paranormal explanations for ostensibly paranormal experiences, but we also do put in a considerable amount of time into directly testing paranormal claims. So we will we'll have psychics, we've tested dowsers, various other kinds of claims. We do kind of experimental investigations of uh, precognitive abilities and all kinds of other stuff. Um, But we go beyond that. So, for example, one of the recent uh, areas that we got very interested in is the whole topic of the psychology of belief in conspiracy theories. And it's amazing the way that all of these different kinds of weird stuff all tend to overlap. Uh, and the psychology behind them is often kind of very similar, whether you're talking about belief in conspiracies or belief in the paranormal or religious beliefs or superstitions or New Age beliefs generally. There's a lot in common across all of those areas, which, which fascinates me.
1: So you started the APRU in the uh, year 2000. How did that come about? Why, why did it start and how can you tell us about that?
4: It's like all good ideas. It's something that came to us in the pub. Here,
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, here. <hear. laughs>
4: myself and my research assistant at the time uh, were having a chat. Um, and we found we, we were looking for ways to kind of um, raise the profile of anomalistic psychology. Because, you know, in terms of going back a little bit further, although uh, my own interest in this area kind of obviously predates that the the formation of the APRU by some considerable time Um, there was a definite attitude amongst some colleagues when I first began to get interested in this stuff that I felt that my research interest in it was kind of tolerated but not encouraged it was seen as being kind of not really properly respectable scientifically Uh, i think that attitude has very much changed these days but that's how it was then and so i was kind of um allowed to carry out research in this kind of an area as long as i also did the more respectable stuff as well and one of the things one of the reasons we wanted to form the apru was to kind of raise the profile of anomalistic psychology and to try and improve its academic respectability Um, Basically, by publishing in mainstream psychology journals. Um, We do publish sometimes in parapsychology journals as well, but we wanted to bring it into the mainstream. And I think we've had some considerable success in doing that. At least we've played our part in doing that. We can't claim all uh, all the credit, obviously. But when you look at the number of papers that are published in this area now, the number of conferences that are held, the amount of media coverage it gets and so on. Uh, things look pretty healthy.
1: Do, do you have problems with getting people to, to participate in your tests? Because if you are looked more like a debunking uh, uh, organisation or unit, then then maybe people will hesitate to, to be part of it. Well again, it depends then what kind of study we're doing. A lot
4: of our research, for example, is based on the idea of looking at different kinds of cognitive biases that people appear to be prone to and asking the question, might some of these cognitive biases be relevant to explaining particular types of paranormal belief? So we might look at things like um, susceptibility to false memories, or um, people's probabilistic reasoning, all kinds of other different things. And what we'd often do in a study there would be to run um, a group of participants, and our hypothesis would be that we would be looking for differences between those who believe in the paranormal and those who don't believe in the paranormal. And generally there, it's no more difficult recruiting participants than it would be for any other kind of psychological study. Well, the point you're making though is a good one if we want to, i mean for example we have published a paper looking at the psychology of people who claim to have had alien contact now there we did face that problem because why would they want to take in part in a study carried out by a known skeptic who is very likely going to be uh, hoping at least that the results will come out showing that they've not really been abducted by aliens at all and that was kind of quite quite interesting we we always try and be fair, uh, you know, I can't emphasize this enough. We're not, we're not out to, uh, you know, kind of get evidence for preconceived notions. Um, but uh, in this particular case, we did actually get the support of a number of UFO groups um, who actually were also interested in just looking into the psychology of the situation. So they encouraged people to actually take part. Even though there was a huge study, I think we ended up with 19 people who um, claimed that they had had alien contacts and that was it took a hell of a lot of effort so i'm not sure i'd ever go there again the other final comment to make is we do sometimes get approached by um either directly by people who claim they have paranormal powers or equally often by uh, tv companies who are making a documentary about somebody who claims to have psychic powers with the request that we actually test their claims um so in that case obviously the kind of motivations vary on the part of the psychic i guess a lot of them feel well actually just to be in a tv program is going to be good publicity however the results come out um some of them approach us because they believe they genuinely have got paranormal powers and they want to prove to us that they can demonstrate them so the motivations there will vary but yes we do sometimes have a problem with that
0: i've read um, it wasn't in an interview, or heard in an interview. I think uh, once you said you used to believe that the paranormal was real. That's true. Uh, what convinced you otherwise, or was there a, was there a point uh, in your career where where you started to lose that kind of belief?
4: Uh, it was a very precise point, actually. I mean, I can date. You know, I can, I could, I could actually probably put a date on it if you asked me to. Um, it was while while I was doing my PhD which was at Leicester University, and in a completely different area. It was looking at the difference between the cerebral hemispheres in terms of function using EEG and so on. Um, and a friend of mine, a colleague in the department, suggested that I read a particular book. He thought I'd enjoy it. Um, and that book was Parapsychology, Science or Magic by James Alcock. And I absolutely loved the book. <laughs> um, until that- Point, I had pretty much believed in a lot of this stuff even to the extent I can remember as a postgrad uh, like a lot of the postgrads I'd try and earn a little bit of extra money by doing adult education classes in a, a local college and I used to go in and say well, what, what do you guys want me to prepare lectures on I must have had a lot more time on my hands in those days <laughs> and they would come up a list and quite often they'd say oh telepathy and so I'd go away and I'd prepare a lecture on it and most of the material well, as far as I could tell at that time, virtually all the material was very, very pro-parapsychology, pro-paranormal. And so I would deliver a lecture the following week, basically telling them all it was all real. <laughs> you know, I can kind of look back now and cringe at the thought of that. But uh, that, was, that was the way I saw things at the time. I then read Jim Orcock's book and the kind of scales fell from my eyes and i you know realized the truth and i became a a true skeptic uh but that was the moment it was reading that one book that kind of determined the rest of my life to such a great extent it was at that point that i realized there was a a magazine called the skeptical inquirer that i'd never heard of before so i started to subscribe to that i i uh, learned about people like James Randi. Uh, I was already familiar with Martin Gardner through his recreational mm-hmm. maths, but I didn't realize there was this other stuff that he was into. I got fads and fallacies in the name of science. Uh, heard, you know, read the work by Ray Hyman and, and Jim Alcock himself, all these people. And it was like a whole new world opened up for me. It was really exciting. It was great, you know. Um, but at the, even at that point, this would be early 80s i mean i came to goldsmiths in uh, 1985 you know i'm a real fossil um but the um it started off as a kind of a side interest a hobby and then i did one or two lectures on it then i'd have one or two student projects in that area and it just kind of very slowly grew and as i said earlier it was for a long time i felt it was tolerated but not encouraged until i reached a point i mean i say the year 2000 when we actually decided let's have a unit um that's, and that, then again, even that took a while to really take root. Um, but now, you know, we, I did all my research is in that area. It's what I'm known for. Uh, I've got kind of collaborations with other people in other universities and, and within goldsmiths and so on. And, and yeah, it's, it, I just think it's a fascinating area. I no longer feel i have to kind of constantly justify my interest in it i mean i can do that for you if you'd like but uh i think they i think we've won that argument people realize that this isn't just oh hey that's a bit weird and wacky and then go on to the more serious stuff they realize that belief these kinds of beliefs do have serious implications you know for a start it's a multi- million if not billion dollar industry worldwide mm. people make important decisions on the basis of these beliefs about their health about their relationships and so on and so forth So, i mean these days i don't have to kind of justify my interest in this area to the extent that i felt that once i had to i think generally we've won that argument people realize that um these kinds of beliefs whether we're talking about paranormal beliefs religious beliefs um beliefs in complementary and alternative therapies, etc., do have real implications for people's lives. So it's a it's a multi-million, if not multi-billion dollar industry world worldwide. People make important decisions on the basis of these beliefs about relationships, about their health, about investments, all kinds of stuff. And also it it there are aspects of this kind of research that feed into the kind of most fundamental questions that face us as human beings. Do we survive bodily death? Can the mind become separated from the body? All of that kind of thing. So it's just it's just endlessly fascinating. And there's also a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, you know, the whole psychology of magic. I've got a colleague here at Goldsmiths, uh, Gustav Kuhn, who his main area of interest is the science of magic. He's a conjurer. He does magic tricks, but he then deconstructs them and looks at the psychology of what makes them work so uh, so you know Goldsmiths is the place to come if you really want to get a good grounding in weird stuff <laughs> um, as, as I tell the students if they get more than 80% on my course and 80% on Gustav's course it's automatic entry into Hogwarts it's there's no problem <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice one <laughs> what made you actually start studies in in, um, in the field of psychology? So was it your interest in the paranormal in the first place that, that uh, p- pushed you towards psychology or it was a different kind of interest?
4: It was probably a really ridiculous kind of uh, reasoning that I was using at the time. As a kid, my passion was always astronomy. And i think at the age of 18 you're really not ready to make these really important decisions that are going to determine the rest of your life but i was kind of put off doing astronomy because people said to me "Oh, it's kind of a lot of it's very mathematical you know and although i was kind of reasonably good at maths i'm not sure i fancied a career that was mainly involved in maths um, and i think we'd had some talk at, uh, at school at the time about psychology and that sounded really quite interesting and i kind of thought oh Outer space? No, I won't do that. I'll do inner space. So it's probably something as kind of really ridiculous as that, So uh. psychology. I didn't regret it. Psychology is a really interesting subject. And of course, the irony is that when I then did my PhD several years later on, um, as I said before, EEG uh, and hemisphere differences, I really had to get my head around all this really complicated maths about time series analysis, which would have been exactly the same type of maths as it would have been involved in radio astronomy. you know so <laughs> maybe I could have stuck with that, but having said that, I've kind of managed to kind of bring it around again so that now. I'm the person they interview whenever there's a story about alien abduction you know so uh it's not quite the kind of how I kind of thought about it when I was a kid um but yeah that was that was kind of basically the reason for it but um it's fine you know as i say I I do sometimes get kind of trotted out on on programs when they're dealing with um any, anything about to do with alien life and so on and so forth. So that's great.
2: Mm. Um, Chris, you've been involved in a lot of investigations in your time and um, of paranormal claims and activities. Can you recall or do you have um, a favorite case that you worked on in the past? Um, and, um, or maybe the, the area that you prefer to, to investigate?
4: They all vary so much, to be honest. It's very difficult to kind of pick just one thing out. Many of the kind of most interesting uh, cases that I've been involved in have been those that have been part of a TV programme. One of the main reasons for that is, of course, that they have much bigger budgets than I would ever have. Um, And I suppose if I had to choose one favourite there, it would be way back in, I think it was 1998 that the programme went out, I took part in a program looking at reincarnation claims amongst the Druze living in Lebanon. I and mean, the Druze are a particular religious sect and belief in reincarnation is central to their belief system. And more interesting from my point of view, lots of the, the kids in that, in that group spontaneously report apparent past life memories. And that is just, you know, really, really interesting to look at. Um, And basically, I kind of went out there for about about three weeks, staying in a five-star hotel, which is the only time I've ever stayed in a five-star hotel in my life. Um, But doing these, you know, talking to these amazing people, being taken to amazing places, having access to stuff that because it was part of a TV program, you wouldn't normally have access to. Um, And the end result was a really interesting program looking at, that this this whole um, topic of uh, past life memories. Um, and I went out there really not knowing what to expect. I hadn't done any of that kind of field work investigation before. Um, and I came back pretty much convinced that we were dealing with false memories there. But it was a fascinating journey and a, and a really interesting program to take part in. Yeah.
1: I assume you, you start you try to keep an open mind and also Always are open for the fact that it actually could be paranormal, but very often I guess you conclude that it's not. How do believers react to your findings and to your results? It varies enormously. I mean,
4: um, I was I was doing a talk last night, um, and that uh, this question often crops up uh, about um, how do how do believers react, and I, I think that it ranges from some. Who uh, I, I mean, I get on very well personally with with a lot of the people on the opposite side of the argument. I mean, I even get on very well with Rupert Sheldrake, and I know that Rupert Sheldrake is somebody who lots of sceptics get so angry about his research and his claims, but I get on with him very well personally. Just because you know we don't agree about uh, his findings and and what's going on there, I get on I get on well with them. I try generally to get on well with the people on the other side the moderates at least on the other side of the debate because i want to kind of try and understand where they're coming from i want to try and you know, get inside their mindset and as i was once a believer myself i don't find that too difficult to do uh, and so those people i think would generally have reasonably nice things to say about me they would probably say they probably see me as being one of the more moderate people on the skeptic side of the argument and somebody who who is genuinely open to the possibility that i might be wrong Obviously. I don't think I am or I wouldn't have the position that I take. But there are also going from that that point, it goes right up to extreme hatred. <laughs> I mean, I get, you know, I, I do get quite a lot of abuse from mm. people at the extreme end of the believer's spectrum. Mm. Um, all kinds of things. I mean, I mentioned before that we're very uh, interested in the psychology of belief in conspiracies. And of course, because we're doing research which doesn't start out from a position of saying, oh, there are no such things as conspiracies. They never happen. Of course, that would be stupid and ridiculous. But we do think that uh, claims that the world is being run by shape-shifting lizards are possibly going a tad too far, you know? Um, (laughs) And so, uh, but the people who buy into all that stuff, all the really weird and wacky stuff, From their point of view, if you are arguing against them, well, there are only two possibilities. You are either an idiot and you've been taken in by the conspiracy yourself, or you are part of the conspiracy. Um, And so, you know, I'm very often put in one category or the other by those people. So, I mean, I won't repeat. I'm sure some of your listeners would not want to hear some of the language that gets sent my way. But, yeah, I get a lot of very, very abusive language.
2: With Trump running for president, I'm not sure about lizards anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you, may have a
4: point you may have a point I, I always had my doubts about Tony Blair, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, this country has, uh, has its own political problems and problematic figures, and, uh, and, and don't have to uh, ask for help from outside. But um, you said it yourself, and uh, we do know from from previous talks, uh, listening to you, that um, whenever you test a claim, you put a lot of effort into working out the best protocol to test that claim in order to to apply the sceptical approach, but then being very fair towards uh, those making the claim. So it's a very interesting thing that uh, you you do work with them as well, right? So you w- you basically usually work together with the, with the, with the person making the claim, Is, isn't that true?
4: Yeah, you absolutely have to. I mean, there's, there's just no cost yeah. at all in setting up a test. Uh, if the if the claimant says, well, I just can't do it under those conditions, it won't work. I mean, why waste their time? Why waste your own? You have to have a test. You have to say, what's the basic claim that you're making try and come up with a fair test of that claim and agree the conditions and we will we will often kind of bend over backwards to try to accommodate any reasonable requests that we can provided it's not at the expense of experimental control that's all we're concerned about as long as uh, as far as we can see there is no way that you could kind of pass this test um either by by cheating or unintentional leaks of information, then we will then go ahead with the test and we will get the person who uh, is being tested to sign something in advance to say, this is a fair test of my claims. And then at the end of the test, they will almost always decide afterwards, oh, actually, it wasn't a fair test after all. Yeah, you know, obviously people can make their own minds up of, of what they think is going on there.
0: Okay, so we established that it's uh, pretty thorough the, the the way you test things, but have you ever seen anything as a result that shook your skepticism?
4: Again, this is a question that I am um, often asked. And oh, sorry my that. <laughs> that's all right. No, it's a perfectly reasonable question. Uh, once Richard Wiseman and I once decided that what we would do, whenever anybody answered that question, we'd just say, nope, next question. Uh, but we'd we <laughs> really do that. Um, There are a couple of things that, I mean, again, I don't think any sceptic is in a position to claim that they have a definitive, conclusive explanation for every single paranormal claim. That would be absolutely ridiculous. So sometimes I'm kind of faced with claims, I mean, often kind of anecdotal claims. And, you know, we all know the problems with anecdotal evidence. I mean, one of my prime areas of research is the unreliability of memory and so on and so forth. So can we even trust the account, even if it's honest and sincere? maybe not. So there's all those kind of problems. But um, the kind of evidence that would really convince me would be evidence coming out from kind of well-controlled tests of a paranormal claim. And I'm not going to say I've never seen uh, kind of apparently significant positive results when I've had maybe postgrads doing that kind of test and so on and so forth. What I can say is that those effects never seem to replicate. Um, They're often not in the direction that was predicted. They're all over the place. And most of the time, they're not there at all. But when they do arise, you know, there's all those kind of problems with it. So basically, you know, in in terms of the overall weight of evidence, nothing in that approach from the studies that I have personally been involved in has ever come close to convincing me there's anything in these claims. Then there are the situations which are not really experimental tightly controlled situations like that, but maybe taking part in TV programs where they're investigating a particular area and so on and so forth. Again, in the vast majority of cases, I've never seen anything that's shaken my scepticism. Um, you know, I've, I've, we've tested lots of psychics. I've kind of engaged with lots of psychics and had many readings done for myself personally or what readings being been done for others. There are a couple of examples of programs that I took part in that did give me pause for thought. Uh, I mentioned earlier that probably the most exciting program I ever took part in was one that involved investigating reincarnation claims in the Lebanon. And I came away from that pretty convinced that I didn't have a handle on what was going on and that we were dealing with false memories. But subsequently, I took part in a program about a little boy from Glasgow called Cameron, um, who apparently had past life memories of living on a on a Scottish island, the Isle of Barra. And without kind of going into the details there, uh, there were things about that case which did leave me kind of thinking, well, that's interesting, I wonder. And, and I suppose that's as far as I would go. I have this little mental box with a question mark on it where I put stuff like that. Mm-hmm. My role in the programme was to be the sceptic, to put forward possible suggestions as to how he might have come by the information he apparently had, why he seemed to be obsessed with with life on the Isle of Barra and so on and so forth. But one of the things that struck me about the case was that he, he seemed like a normal little kid apart from these strange claims. His mother was a very down to earth person. She wasn't somebody who had a strong belief in reincarnation. She just wanted to understand why her son came out with this, this weird stuff. And It was an interesting case. Some of the things that he apparently remembered did seem to kind of correspond to reality. Some didn't. And so it was a kind of an interesting mix. Another program was a guy called David Mandel, who claimed that he had dreams that foretold the future. And as he was an artist, he would wake up in the morning, try to fix an image of the dream in his head, and then get up and either draw a picture or paint a picture, maybe put a few notes on it of what the dream was about. And then he'd put it to one side. And then at some point in the future, which he could not specify in advance, but at some point in the future, he'd maybe see a news broadcast or read something in a newspaper and think, that's what I dreamt about. Now, um, obviously, uh, I was coming in as the sceptic again and saying, well, maybe these matches are just coincidences. You know, one earthquake looks pretty much the same as another. But there were a few of his predictions which... Um, were a bit more striking than that. Again, not so striking that it was enough to kind of make me say, oh, wow, I'm convinced I'm not a sceptic anymore. One, I'll give you one example. He had two dreams about the Twin Towers collapsing. And what he used to do to try and his, his kind of amateur way of trying to prove to people that he hadn't just painted a picture after the news had been broadcast, he would go down with the picture to his local branch of, of I think it was Barclays, Bank, but to his local bank, he would have his photograph taken in front of the little date thing on the wall. Um, OK, it's not the perfect way of doing it, but it's a, it was a genuine, sincere attempt. to say, so, you know, I'm not making this up. This is this is what I've had. And I don't I think he was 100 percent sincere. I uh, I had two dreams about the Twin Towers collapsing. One was a couple of months before it happened. And the other was five years before it happened. And it was kind of five years to the day, so you've got this rather amazing picture of him standing in front of the date thing and on the, in the bank, holding this painting that he'd done of the twin towers collapsing, and on the wall behind him it says um, the eleventh uh, of September. So yeah, you know, obviously could just be another of those spooky little fluky coincidences that arise. Probably was, but uh, it was an intriguing case. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I found I myself um, spending half an hour last night trying to convince my friend who went to a psychic that the fact that she mentioned her grandma's black ring didn't mean that she actually knew what she's talking about. There's only so many rings and it's just a coincidence. Um, it's funny, but yeah.
4: And also, I mean, again, from a lot of the research that we've done, it, what, what you'd ideally want to do is to be able to see a recording of the whole interaction. Yeah. Often people will recall it as being much more specific yeah, very good point. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've, we've actually kind of done some experimental studies of that. I once had to pass myself off as a psychic on daytime TV. Um, and that, that was fun. <laughs> um, it went very well, actually. But, again, I just kind of read up on lots of books on cold reading. Well, one book, in fact, on cold reading. I would already I was already pretty familiar with it. Uh, Ian Rowland's book, just in case you're thinking of looking for a good book on cold reading. Ian Rowland's full facts book on cold reading is mm be one of the best, if not the best. And it's kind of interesting the way cold reading works and, and how effective it can be on people. And one of the first rule, the golden rule, in fact, of cold reading is get the cooperation of the client. So in this particular context where I was doing it for a daytime TV program, I said to the volunteer who had been told that I was a psychic. Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about this because I've never done it on it, on camera before for TV. So a little bit on edge, trying to get the sympathy vote, you know. Um, and also, we've only got ten minutes, and I'd normally spend an, at least an hour with each of my clients. So I mean, I wouldn't normally do this, but is there anybody in particular you'd like me to try and make contact with? And she said, Oh, yeah, you're my granddad. So immediately, I know granddad's passed over. So that's a kind of great start. So from there, we go into it. And one of the things with psychics, which if you've looked at any kind of number of readings that they do, they ask an awful lot of questions. It's not, you know, they're supposed to be telling you stuff, but they actually ask a lot of questions, which is slightly odd. Um, And the way they do it is is quite clever. And again, I think this applies both to the the so-called shut eyes, the people who genuinely believe they have a psychic gift, and the open eyes, the people who are deliberately using cold reading. Um, but I'll give you one kind of uh, fairly trivial example, but it does illustrate the point. At one point in the reading, I said to her, and, and was your granddad a tidy man? And she said, yes, he was. I said, yeah, I thought he was. He used to always put everything away, everything out its place, didn't it? If she'd have said no, I'd have just said, no, I didn't think he was. He never used to put things away, did he? He'd always just leave them lying around. <laughs> it's the question as if I'm kind of asking for confirmation of something I already know. But in actual fact, no, I don't know at all. I'm either going to go down that route or down that route with the conversation, depending on how you answer. And, you know, that, that worked like a dream. And you'll see that happening a
1: lot in, if you analyze line by line psychic readings. There have been uh, paranormal challenges put out by skeptics, most famously from JREF to James, uh, James Randi Educational Foundation in the U.S. Uh, is there something like that in the U.K. at the moment? Uh, I
4: believe that the Association for Skeptical Inquiry does still have a cash prize available. Um, I, I certainly used to have, I think it was only like about £14,000, but there's, they're also kind of in contact with other organization, including European organizations, that definitely do have this money on offer.
2: Uh, Chris, do you think um, educating people about the way their brain works um, and how faulty actually our brain is and, uh, you know, how we think we see things and hear things and remember things, it's not actually what is happening. Do you think that helps them become more skeptical about the, the, the clay, uh, some of the things um, and claims and their experiences? And just recognising this fallibility.
4: Yeah, I know. I think that's really, really important. I mean, one of the other main reasons that I'm very keen to kind of uh, talk about anomalistic psychology and so on and so forth is it's a great way of trying to create train people to be better critical thinkers. I mean, and yeah, you know, basically critical thinking is not about telling people what to think; it's about trying to tell them how to think. so to be aware of your own biases, we all have biases, believers and skeptics we're all susceptible to these biases that'll affect our judgment, our memory, our perception, and knowing about those things ought to make you a better decision maker and so you know, this should apply in all areas of life, not just. Um, when it comes to assessing kind of weird and wonderful claims. But even, you know, I mean, look at what's happening in politics at the moment. I mean, this notion that we're in the kind of a, the post-truth era, that we don't need experts anymore, we shouldn't listen to experts. I mean, that is extremely dangerous. I mean, Trump's appeal, such as it is, and I can't for one moment fathom where it's coming from, but it's clearly, it's very much an emotional gut level. He tells lies Constantly, and people don't seem to care, and and that I find deeply worrying. So the more we can kind of try and get people to make decisions on the basis of, of their heads, and, and in that context, not their hearts, you know,
0: then the better. And obviously, in the UK, you've been one of the pioneers of um, anomalistic psychology research, but now there are more and more people getting involved in this, and and it's it's a big thing in the UK. Do you know of many other research units or, or research groups across Europe or in the world where they, they deal with this? Or are you in contact with all the, all those people? I suppose there's no kind of formal
4: network of those people. But there are different people in different universities around the world, and including Europe, who are doing research which is relevant to these kind of issues. I mean, it might be at the level of a very, very specific topic, such as... Um, Some of the great work that people like Olaf Blanke are doing on out of body experiences um, or Peter Brugger in in Zurich and and people like that who who are doing great research, often from a very much a neuropsychological point of view. other people who are looking at aspects of the psychology of religious belief or belief in conspiracies. I mean, we recently uh, I co-edited a special issue of the Open Access Journal Frontiers uh, on belief in conspiracies, and we had contributions from all over Europe for that. So these there are these kind of networks of people. Uh, some would say focus on one specific topic others kind of having a more general interest um, so it's, it's it's definitely out there uh, i mean i'm I, I spend a lot of my time kind of organizing uh e- events and conferences and stuff like that and that's it's great to be kind of part of those networks because you can just you know who to ask to to talk on a particular topic um and you know people are very eager to share their knowledge and to to compare notes and to to discuss what's going on so yeah it's definitely happening
0: great but now that you mentioned international um, collaborations and networking, you are or you have been quite active um, in uh, sceptic uh, networking on an international level as well, uh, including the European Council of Sceptical Organisations. Where do you see that going at the moment? How, how do you see what has been done so far and potential to, to do more in the future?
4: again it's it's difficult for me to comment uh, kind of you like at the kind of s- state of things at the, at the european level because obviously i'm much more familiar with what's happening in the uk and i think my impression is and and, and talking to european colleagues i think they tend to reinforce this that although there's a lot of skeptical activism right across europe In the UK, it seems to probably be a little bit more uh, uh, going on than maybe in some other European countries. So, I mean, as you'll be aware, there are, again, getting on for 50 different branches of sceptics in the pub in the country. Um, There are other groups. I mean, Simon Sings, Good Thinking Society. Um, There's uh, Sense Sense About Science. Um, I'm, I'm kind of under scientific advice. The the British False Memory Society and and various other groups. And I kind of interact with them a lot, co-organise events with them, so on and so forth. The Centre for Inquiry UK. um, There's there's such a lot going on. and obviously it would be great if you guys are doing a great job and, and if we can just kind of keep on doing more and more and encouraging people to get involved, to get active. And I think it's really important. One of the things that I think may again characterize more the UK scene than some of the European countries is the grassroots nature of the whole movement. And again, I suppose Skeptics in the Pub is the best example of that. I. Yeah. I run the Greenwich branch of sceptics in the pub. So go and check out our website. We've got a fantastic lineup of speakers all the way up to January 2018. We like to plan ahead. Um, (laughs) uh, One of the meetings I just actually asked out of interest uh, how many people in the audience either worked in a university or were students at university. And I was really pleased that it was only about 10 percent. 90% 90% of our audience were not people who were coming from a, an academic background, they were just people who were interested. And that's brilliant. That's what we want to kind of get out there. I think there are some um, challenges facing um, uh, kind of both UK scepticism and international scepticism. In particular, Uh, although things have improved with respect to the gender breakdown of people who tend to come along to these uh, talks, it used to be very very male dominated I'd now say it's about 60-40 male to female, so that's great Um, but we still don't see very many non-white faces I don't know whether it's different for you guys in European meetings but I would love to see other ethnic groups getting involved Um, and you know that there 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 are real challenges you know different different groups different within society face different challenges um but I think that it's best to try and address as many of these as we can with good critical thinking, looking for evidence, not being facing decision important decisions on kind of emotional appeal or appeal to the gods or whatever else it may be
1: so if we look into the future chris uh do you have any special uh, plans, I mean special projects or interesting things that are coming up that you would like to share?
4: Well, well, the main areas of research that we're involved in at the moment and there are kind of various levels to that on the one hand kind of carrying out um, Experimental studies, writing papers, etc, etc um, Right up to holding kind of public events or co- academic conferences and so on. Three main areas I suppose would be the psychology of belief in conspiracy theories which I think is um, hugely important given the potentially destructive nature of some of those claims. False memory research, which applies not only to my interest in things like alien abduction claims and past life memories, but also, and I think this is, again, maybe a bit more of a problem in the UK at the moment, there are lots of um, historical sex abuse cases, some of which, no doubt, you know, genuinely do it, did involve uh, sexual abuse, but others that are apparently based on recovered memories, which in my view are highly likely to be false memories. And uh, we need to kind of make people more aware, particularly within the legal system of the dangers, the risks of false memory. And we're also still carrying on with lots of research on, on sleep paralysis, which is another area that I find absolutely fascinating. And, Again, it's not just about trying to understand uh, the nature of sleep paralysis, what causes it, but trying to look at ways of uh, getting the word out to people that there is this thing called sleep paralysis. It can be absolutely terrifying. Um, And ideally, we'd like to try and get hold of some funding so that we could look at ways of of trying to... uh, Evaluate the best ways of coping with sleep paralysis um, for anybody who 's interested in sleep paralysis by the way, uh, go and check out uh, the Sleep Paralysis project That was a, a sci art collaboration that I took part in with uh, a very gifted animator called carla mckinnon and she 's got a wonderful little nine minute uh, film there which which won an award we 're pleased to say of her own based on her own sleep paralysis experiences and it really gets the kind of spooky creepy nature of sleep paralysis across to anybody who's never experienced it themselves um but yeah all of those are kind of i think you know important issues you can only do so much in a day i wish we could kind of have more time to take these things forward quicker but uh that'll keep me going for a while
2: Hmm. very good Uh, chris how can people find out more about your work um and any projects that you've got upcoming
4: If people want to find out more about what we do, if they go to uh, the the UNIT website, which is www.gold.ac.uk forward slash APRU, there's lots of information there. Uh, And also there's a link there to my um, email list. I think it's called something like the Psychology of the Paranormal Um, email network I actually kind of send out emails on a lot more than just paranormal stuff but it's a good way of keeping up to date with any forthcoming events that I'm aware of Uh, sometimes we use it to recruit participants for uh, for studies or if there's going to be something interesting on TV whatever we use it for all kinds of things it's not a discussion list it's not it's not meant to be to serve that purpose but just to keep people informed they would be good places to start
0: yeah okay excellent thank you Well, I think that wraps up our interview. And uh, I would like to thank you for your time, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. It's been lovely to talk to you and have you on the show. Great.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Excellent. Yeah, in November.
0: Yeah, remind us what will that be in case our listeners are interested as well.
4: We've got an event coming up. This is, again, I quite often co-organise stuff with other groups. This is a one-day conference on conspiracies, Uh, called seriously suspicious Um, it's late November sometime but if you check it out you can get the actual date and uh, that uh, will have a range of speakers from a range of different perspectives so uh, we might expect to see some interesting discussions there another event that we've got coming up at Goldsmiths that one's at Goldsmiths by the way Um, another fantastic event that we've got coming up is on the evening of the 18th of November where we've got the wonderful Elizabeth Loftus, the queen of false memory research and one of my all-time intellectual heroes. She will be part of a panel at Goldsmiths. Uh, I'll also be on the panel along with Kim Wade and Rob Nash, and that is a panel on uh, false memories. Uh, So that also should be very interesting. So check that out and please do come along.
0: Yeah, okay, great. So again, thank you very much and uh, looking forward to seeing you again.
4: All right. Okay. Look, great talking to you guys. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care.
0: Thank you. Goodbye. Okay. So, this was Chris French, or at least our interview with Chris French. And uh, we are very happy that uh, in the coming weeks, at least Yelena and I will have uh, another opportunity to meet him. Are you lucky bastards? Ha! Seriously Suspicious Conference.
2: Seriously Suspicious Conference.
0: Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. It's uh, the week after this one. Uh, but uh, the number of events that Chris French and his group are putting on, it's like <laughs> amazing. All the, the science communication about the science of the mind, that's that's brilliant. And he gets a lot of invitations to Skeptics in the Pubs uh, events as well, which is also great. But uh, I'm afraid... This brings us to the end of the episode. Please stay tuned for the next one. That will be another regular episode. I mean, all our episodes are regular by now. But <laughs> uh, the, the one with the, the several different kinds of segments. So stay tuned. But uh, for now, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you.
2: Thanks, guys.
0: And until next week, goodbye.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Goodbye.
6: I don't know how you can't
2: Um, So we're finished this week with Sunday the
0: 20th, as every week, really. Um... Sunday <laughs> <laughs> okay. Assembly. Do you guys know what Sunday Assembly is? I do. Great. It's-
2: just, do you just want to enlighten 80s. our listeners,
0: for those, for those who don't know? <laughs>
1: just pretend that I don't know, and, and we'll get along.
0: Oh, shite. What? <laughs> I forgot something. Never mind. I'll do it now. But we do know that for the time being, we've lost Andres
4: again. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's a good place to start. Sorry, I okay. I'm getting farting sounds coming across here. I don't know. It's not me, by the way. Uh, did you get that interference coming through? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll try and do it again then without the without the farting in the background. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Animalistic farting.
4: That's oh, absolutely
1: yeah. <laughs> oh dearie me. Um, yeah.